You'll be encouraged this morning. Today, we've got the privilege of hearing from one of my friends, a former uh, mentor uh, in my life, the lead pastor of Sunrise Christian Center, located just in Everett, and uh, somebody uh, who has been uh, a voice in my life for a number of years. Uh, you know, prior to planting this church about six years ago, we came out of uh, Sunrise uh, Christian Center. It was one of the churches that had uh, really um, had taken us in for a number of years. I think I was there for about a decade prior uh, to planting uh, Pursuit, and uh, Pastor John was a uh, junior high pastor, I think, at that time, pastor, with Pastor Russ as, as a youth pastor, and really took me in and, and, and mentored and developed and discipled and helped show me what it looked like to follow after God with my uh, whole heart. And, and, and I think over the years with planting and, and just getting busy with church work and all of those sorts of things, our relationship kind of went two different ways. And really, it's been over the last year that God's really done a work of restoration and reconciliation. And I'm telling you, we need friends in this season. You need good friends in your life, people who've seen stuff, who know stuff, but they believe in the same God as you. They're going in the same direction as you. And John is one of those guys for me and, and, and for our church. He's a friend of the house. And, uh, man, in the 9 a.m. service, powerful word from the Lord. And we'll go hear it again at the 11. Uh, but God has really done a work of, 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 of uniting us uh, again. And, and so we want to publicly say that the pursuit honors and blesses Sunrise Christian Center. We're not in competition. We're in collaboration. We're on the same team. We have a common coach, the Lord, and we have a common enemy, the devil. And sometimes the enemy try to convince you that your enemy is, you know, somebody else other than him. And that's just not true. And so we're excited to be on the same team uh, in the same harvest field, co-laboring and co-airing, going after God together. So would you help give a warm pursuit welcome to my friend, Pastor John Hammer. So I forgot. Also, <laughs> he's married to my cousin. And so, favorite cousin. You know, favorite, favorite cousin. Favorite cousin. For legal and reasons, we have to say favorite cousin. <laughs> they gave me a mic this time, oh, so no. I feel like it's official, cousin. <laughs> Don't take an offering. That I, can be yeah, just... <laughs> I could take a grace offering, right? And it would be legit. <laughs> yes. I want to bring my wife Grace up here my partner, and uh, just to pray in just a moment. But I want to just say thank you for having us uh, at The Pursuit. Um, uh, I know as Russell shared some of the story in the first service, uh, we, we had had some strain in our relationship. And when we started talking again, it was good. We, we talked a little bit here and there the last several years, but we were just so close for so long and then we weren't. And then to reconcile, release forgiveness, uh, my dad, who's started our church, where I am the lead pastor now, Sunrise Christian Center, Dan Hammer, he, we had a meeting together. It was just really powerful to pray, to love one another. We had Russell over this summer at a prayer meeting just to pray for him, bless him, um, bless you guys. We want to take an offering for you, and we just wanted to say, like, look, we're not just going to chat every once in a while. We're friends again. We're running together. We're, we're, there's reconciliation. There's forgiveness. There's unity. Your, your, your sorrows are our sorrows. Your joys are our joys. Your victories are our victories. And uh, we just, we want you to know that um, there's, I just bring a greeting from my parents, Pastors Dan and Terry, and from Sunrise Christian Center, from our team. We love you. We bless you. And we're thankful for you. And it's just, it's really good to be here. It's a little surreal. 
And just to be uh, with, with the Johnson family, as Brian and Anna made a big investment in my life as they led Seattle Bible College for many years. And of course, just running with Russell in, uh, in one season for a long time. And then not having that and now having it again is just, it's meant everything to me, especially in 2020 and COVID season. We love he and Maria very much. Um, we did their pre-marriage counseling. So we know all the stuff is what I'm saying. <laughs> No, they're awesome. We were, we are honestly mostly excited today about getting to see Maria because we haven't seen her for a while, you know, like I've seen Russell and so I've got used to him again, but it was just, we missed Maria. So this is a real joy for us to be here, but no, and just to see Russ and Kim, uh, Russ was my youth pastor uh, and I was, I did a lot of music too. So Kim was my worship pastor and they trained me in the Lord and spoken to my life and they've just been great friends and we miss them and we, but we, it's, a, it's always a joyful time to get to reconnect. And there's several other faces that we've been a, a part of that are here and we're just, we're just honored to be with, with you guys today. But on, on that note, anyway, oh, and my four kids, I should just say, I do have my four amazing kids, Haley, Emma, Justice, and Addison. They're sitting in birth order. That's perfect. And um, <laughs> did you plan that? No, they don't want to stand up or wave or do anything like that, but they're amazing kids and I'm happy that they're. Well, I think it's time for an this. altar call now so we can dismiss. Yeah, <laughs> no. can we already? Oh, okay. <laughs> Unless you want to call out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. All right. Isn't it fun to laugh and have joy in the Lord? Especially during this time. Yeah. The verse that I've been dependent on so much is the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I try Amen. to find joy in every day, everything, because you can get so frustrated with everything going on. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. Right? Amen? Amen. All right. Will you, um, can I pray now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you'll just pray with me, please, praying church. Father, we just come before you yes. today, and we just receive your word you have for us. Penetrate our hearts and our minds and our spirit, God. Let us not be the same that we were when we came today. Let us be forever changed, God. I thank you for just a heart of unity among your bride. Thank you, God, that you've called us for such a time as this, that you have a plan and a purpose for everyone here, God, and that you want the best for us in this season right now. And I just pray a blessing as your word goes forth, and I pray a blessing on everyone here that we just give glory and honor to your name today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Today, I want to bring a word to you, breakthroughs, hidden power for this hour. Breakthroughs, hidden power for this hour. Is there anything in your life that you've had to overcome or that you'd like to overcome? Is there any area in your life where you need breakthrough? Maybe there's some big test, some big trial, some intense situation, maybe COVID-19, maybe 2020. Anybody else gone through that? Anybody else living through the same year as me? <laughs> the memes are winning 2020, if you ask me. They're killing it. You know, it's like, uh, man, I just can't wait for this five years of 2020 to be over soon. Right, uh, your your pastor Russell has an obsession. He's had it for a long time with pizza rolls. He's just like, he loves pizza rolls. Um, if I remember, dipping them in ranch dressing too is like kind of the next level of the pizza roll. And uh, you know, so I'm sure that he sometimes he wants breakthrough. He's like, Lord, please let me eat the whole bag. But he's got you know his son's growing in size and stature and probably competes with him now for the pizza roll allotment. So you got to pray for this. I feel like Russell could be on Man versus Food. Do you remember that show? It's like Man versus Food. <laughs> food wins or whatever. And like Russell has had that kind of struggle. So he, he, he knows what it's like to need breakthrough in different areas. You know what it's like. We all know we're either going through a trial, needing breakthrough in one area of our life. We've just come out of one of those seasons or we're heading into one in the future. That's kind of seems to be the way the human experience 
works. Well, there was a, something that Jesus taught us that we're going to look at today in the Gospels. Uh, he taught his disciples uh, about how they could obtain breakthrough in their lives. And there was a time where he was leaving Bethany to go to the temple, and there was this powerful exchange about how the church is to be a praying people. And there's this lesson that uh, revolves around this experience and this little journey, this little uh, walk that he's on with his disciples in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. And so if you, if you want to open up your Bible, I think they'll put it on the screen for you too. But Mark 11, verse 12 is where we're going to pick up this story. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, that's Jesus and his disciples, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out of it. He went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Canceled, right? And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began for a, look, looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, and in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Amen. So the Lord is walking. The Lord Jesus, he's walking with his disciples. He sees this fig tree. There's a bunch of leaves. He's thinking, okay, this isn't the season for figs, but it's got all these leaves. Let's check it out. There's no figs, no fruit on the tree. He curses it right there. Then he goes on to the temple and has this powerful encounter where he's got to clear the temple because the house of God had become about something other than about prayer and about the presence and about the person of God being exalted, right? And he, we have nothing to do with merchandising and the religiosity of trying to oppress people who actually just wanted to freely come and worship, taking advantage of people in the house of God. And so Jesus clears it out. And this is one of the few times you see Jesus exhibit righteous anger in his life and ministry. And he clears it out. And he says that the church is supposed to be his house where his people gather. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Now in the scriptures, we see that the church is referred to as the body of Christ. In Corinthians, Paul says, you're God's field, you're God's building. Sometimes we're, there's a picture that we're like an army. You, we're like the, fa we're the family of God in Ephesians 3, right? There's all these different descriptions of what a church is. But Jesus here says a primary identity of his house, his own words, is that we are to be a praying people. That we're to be known as a people that pray, a house of prayer for all nations. That we carry the nations in our heart and we pray for God's heart to be released over situations, right? And then on the way out of the temple, when they're back on this walk, they pass that fig tree and it's withered up at the root. And it's not almost, it's not mostly dead. It's all dead, right? The, the tree is dead and they're like, wow, they're just gone a couple days and all of a sudden this tree is withered up at the roots. 
and they're, and they're kind of shaking like, check this out. And Jesus is like, have faith in God. I'm telling you, not only could you curse a fig tree and have it wither up at the roots, but if you speak the word of God in believing prayer, you could actually say to a mountain, be uprooted and be cast into the sea, right? And so he has this powerful exchange that's, that's taking place, and he teaches them then about standing and forgiveness. And while he's on this little journey teaching them this lesson, it, it, it makes me feel like it's a part of the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. You see, the fig tree, that, that kind of gives us a context for this story, it was... It was out of season, so you could kind of think, well, why on earth would Jesus curse a fig tree that's not supposed to be producing fruit yet for not producing fruit? It seems like, kind of like he's missing it somehow. But when a fig tree had leaves on it, it was presenting like it was time for fruit. So what, he's say, what, what we're seeing is that Jesus rebukes the fig tree because it's an example, it's a picture for us of hypocrisy, of a false front. It's fronting, like that fig tree was fronting. Did you see that tree? It was like, I got fruit, look at me, the leaves. And then you go behind it, it looks beautiful from the outside. When you're hungry, it looks like you're about to get nourishment, but it's empty, it's missing the fruit. It's, 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 it's presenting a false front. And I believe that we're in a time where God is exposing the false fronts in the church, in the nation, and even in the nations of the earth. And I've, I've, it's been a very challenging season as a pastor. Absolutely, it's been a wonderful time of God doing miracles and answering prayers in incredible ways. But it's also been a very, very trying time. I've talked to mentors that have been in the ministry for over 40 years, and they've all said, if you can take your lumps in 2020, the rest of your life, once this season is over, is gonna be easier in ministry than what you're experiencing right now. And I'm like, okay, wow. Well, and talking with Russell has been a blessing just to be able to encourage each other and just share the sto swap stories and just kind of, share that common pressure and trial of what it means to be in ministry sometime and the joys of course too and the great things that God is doing but it's been one of those seasons where I've really struggled as a pastor to uh, figure out like God how do I lead my people in these times like people are so polarized half of the church half of the nation thinks that Trump is like God's you know, almost like he's the second Messiah, like he's could do no wrong. And then the other half of the church and the nation seem to think that he's the devil incarnate. And, and there's riots everywhere. And everything you say is wrong right now as a pastor. You know, like if you speak about racism, then you're a Marxist. If you don't speak about it, then you're a white supremacist. And, and it's like, you know, it's just like what we call a lose-lose scenario, right? And, and it, so it's been that time, so I've been so vexed, and a few weeks ago, or a month ago or so, I was just, I've been seeking the Lord this whole time, but I really felt like he showed me that this season of what's happening in our nation, and even to, in the nations of the earth to some extent, but I believe primarily for our nation is the time of the great unveiling. I believe that we will look back at 2020 and we will, we will be able to characterize the season that we're in as the great unveiling, the political season that we're in, my God, why is it Trump versus Biden? What, why this? Why are all these things going on? And, and ever since the Lord showed me, I started to have peace and to understand how I'm to operate as a pastor, how I believe the church is to operate and navigate. But God, I believe there's times where we get to in a society where we become so godless and we lack the fear of the Lord so much that God allows certain things to happen where people are not responding to his corrections or his warnings, then out of his mercy, he has to, he has to allow things to get bad in some situations um, because he's, he has to expose our, what's wrong and ultimately to expose our need for him. 
And so I believe it's this unveiling where you see uh, Trump's own sins. You see the people that support Trump. You see the people that are against Trump. You see people that are uh, connected to Biden. You see people in the media. You see church leaders. You see all these different leaders and, and, and people that have platforms and pulpits and even pastors of large churches and people that run large ministries. They're being exposed for their brokenness, their immorality, their hypocrisy, for the false front. They're putting out one front like, I'm this, I would never do that. I would never say that. This is what you need to believe. We need to get the nation back to righteousness, which we do need to get back to righteousness. But then in their lives, their, their closets are full of all these skeletons. And it doesn't matter how much you dress up. Jesus had a word for the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed, basically coffins, right? Uh, saying it doesn't matter how much you dress up the outside. It's still full of dead men's bones. Right? And so, so I believe that God is allowing the veil to be pulled back. And I'm just like, what else could be exposed? What other kind of corruption in media, in politics, in church, uh, sex trafficking, pedophilia, racism? Then the world's response to race issues is not a biblical world, even in the church sometimes now, but it's now getting into Marxist thought. All that stuff's being exposed on so many different levels. I mean, I, if I had time, I could go down the line. It's unveiled, 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 and it feels like a mess, and it feels like chaos, but it's like God's got to pull off the false fronts of what's happening in the middle of the culture. And so my heart has been, I don't want to just point the finger at all the other people that are doing wrong right now, but I realize if God's unveiling, then that means he's doing it in his church and he's doing it in his pastors. He's doing it in leaders. He's doing it in me. He's doing it in the people of God. I had some skeletons in my closet that I think I dealt with pretty good and repented of, but I'm on my face right now saying, Jesus, I want you to do something in me so that I'm in the right place, so that hopefully you could unveil me in private and these things don't have to become public one day, right? And so I believe that this fig tree, it sets a context for us to understand. It actually gives us a lesson for faith of how we can move in this hour, that although sometimes it's painful or there's something that needs to be cursed, it's because it's not producing fruit because it's actually, it's actually presenting that it brings life, but it doesn't bring life. And he's got to pull those things down. You see, uh, in, when 9-11 happened, the nation kind of turned to the church. There was this powerful interview by Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lotz, and they asked her as like a spokeswoman of the, of the church, you know, like, well, where's God in 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down? Where's he at? And she's like, well, you told God to leave the schools, to leave families, to leave government, da-da-da, on down the line. And she said, and God's a gentleman. You asked him to leave, and he left. That's why he's not here right now. And there was kind of this return. Churches were full for a little while, especially on the East Coast. Um, there was a, a sense like we need the church. We need God in this nation. COVID-19 hits. Racial uh, unrest, riots, looting, destruction, economy, crickets, right? Like from the media, nothing about God. We need to get a pastor on here. We all need to pray. We need to, we've lost the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this is the first thing we're handling on a major scale as a nation, it seems like, uh, uh, from an imminent frame where we don't believe in a transcendent God or an unseen world, but it's just all through science, all th statism, scientism. It's all like we can all handle this. Like let's just all do our part and then we're all gonna get through this. But it's like God is, is removed from the public square of our nation. And so if you read Ezekiel, uh, you'll see over and over, it's on repeat in Ezekiel so many times, dozens and dozens of times, where when God's bringing his judgments into, into the, to, against Israel or against the prophets and the priests and the church in Israel or against the other nations, every time he finishes talking about these judgments, he says, so they will know that I am, or then they will know that I am the Lord. 
then they will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And that, that's on repeat. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God's judgments aren't to be vindictive or to strike this one person. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He's very clear about that. But, he, but society comes to a place where God is saying, you don't even know that I exist anymore as a people. And that will bring the ultimate destruction is when we remove the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God from people's consciousness. And so it's, I believe that's what we're in, unveiling so that the knowledge of the Lord and the fear of the Lord can return to this land. And so he curses this fig tree. The, the, the roots dry up. This unveiled, it's exposed that this thing's a false front, right? And then he uses this as an opportunity to show us how do we navigate then? How do we get breakthroughs then in these kind of seasons in our life? How do we become a people that operate in faith and see breakthrough? The first thing we see is that Jesus says, you got to pray in faith. You got to pray actually believing. You've got to pray and believe the things that you've asked for that God's done them. You have power to declare in prayer. And the world thinks, the world mocks you. You will get mocked potentially on social media if you tell people in the middle of a crisis that you're praying for them. They'll be like, don't send me your prayers. Go do something. The world says prayer is inactivity. We must reject that lie. Prayer is the highest activity of the believer. The highest activity of the believer is to commune with God is to connect with him, is to have an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. This is, this is the highest privilege. So we have got to get, like, I don't know if thoughts and vibes do anything at all, right? But what I do know is that we have a voice before God that we've got to get back to understanding and reclaiming that power of prayer in our lives. That it's not just a nicety-nice thing to do. It's not just a little spiritual exercise or some kind of hoops that you jump through to make yourself feel better or try to comfort somebody else's hurting heart. No, it's actually the power to move heaven and earth. It's actually the power to move angels and demons and rewrite the course of human history. <laughs> history belongs to the intercessors, and Jesus is telling us, you need breakthrough. It's hidden from the world right now, this solution of prayer, but it must be reclaimed by the church. There's a woman in our church, her husband, her and her husband, amazing couple, he started having like Parkinson's symptoms, ended up having one side of his body kind of shut down, tremors, uh, was getting worse, went into the hospital eventually, What got scanned, brain tumor, operated on the brain tumor, then he got some infection, they tried to treat the infection, wrong medication, made it worse, got on the right medication, all through this process, so many times, several times the doctors came in and said, he's gone, he's basically dead already, just let's unplug him and you're done. And she's like, I just want 24 more hours or even 12 hours tomorrow morning. Let's wait till tomorrow morning. All right. She's like, but I believe Jesus. I believe the God of miracles. She said to the doctor, she said, did you make him? Did you start his life? And they're like, well, no. And she said, well, then you can't say when his life is going to end for sure. Who's giving you that right or authority? She's kind of strong, right? She was in there praying some night. Talk about praying, praying in faith. She's praying in the Holy Ghost five hours one day. She got in there when she was able to get in and see him in person just prayed and contended. He said, my husband's going to live. Well, uh, he is at home. He still needs some miracles. He still got a trach in. They want to do other scans before they will take the trach out to confirm what's happened in the brain area. But he has full memory back. He's got motion. He's got doing physical rehab. He needs a wound to heal. He's, so, so, but he's doing amazing. And every doctor at the rehab place that he just left before he got to go home looks at his files and the, nurse, the head nurses and stuff and they're reading all the history and they're going, he should be dead. He should be dead. How is he alive? 
how is he doing this good? And she says, my God, it's full of so many miracles. And they said, well, he better be full of more miracles. She goes, well, he is. But she prayed believing. She, she would not believe any other report. And she stood on that. We need to pray believing. Did you hear the story about the, the, the farmer who had a dead old donkey? It's like kind of this decrepit donkey collapsed one day. And the farmer's like, hey, that thing's, you know, it's finally dead. Let's go. He goes, checks it out. Like, we got to bury this thing. So he has some of the farm, farm hands like, hey, go bury it in that old well we need to fill in. All right? So they, they drag the donkey and drop it down the old well. And they start digging it. They got to fill it. So they got their shovel and they're, they're shoveling dirt and the rocks. And it's hitting the, hitting the donkey on the first day, and then all of a sudden, a couple rocks and, and dirt hits the donkey, and the donkey wakes up. And he goes, what's going on? Sees the dirt coming down, so the donkey kind of shakes off the dirt and the rocks and, and just kind of steps on all the dirt that came down into the bottom of the well. And the next day, they go to refill the well, and the next day, and the next day, and they just keep going to fill this well. And then every day, the donkey's just sitting there, and he just shakes off the dirt and the rocks, and he puts it under his feet and makes it a foundation. Eventually, they fill that well enough, the donkey just walks out. How many of you know the thing that the devil thought, that the world thought, that the family, your family thought, that you yourself thought was going to take you out and bury you is actually the thing that God wants to put under your feet to cause you to arise to a new level of faith and overcome your obstacles? See, Jesus said you could speak to a mountain. You could, there's mountains that are against you. There's people trying to bury you and tell you you're dead, you're hopeless, you got no situation. There was a young man in our church recently, he's just weeping with me after service, and he's saying, Pastor, thank you for this church. He said, in the world, nobody thinks I can change. My ex-girlfriend, my friends, my family, they're all telling me you're always gonna be this way. You're always gonna be broken this way. You're never gonna overcome. And he said, here I get mercy. Here I get another chance. Here you guys believe in me, right? You see, it doesn't matter what's come against you, and, and many preachers have said it many times before, but right, don't speak to your, mount, or to your God about how big your mountain is. Speak to your mountain about how big your God is. And there's something, there's something about that simple kind of faith. Now, some Christians are confused or critics of Christianity. They say, oh, you claim to have faith. You claim to have faith, and look at all these problems that you have. Well, the, the Bible, Jesus did not promise you a problem-free life. He didn't promise you a mountain-free life. Well, some of you are like, well, if I had faith, there would be no sickness. If I had faith, there would be no disease. There would be no tests and trials. There would be no difficult times. There would be no challenge in my finances or in my relationships with my wife or my kids. Or, but no, that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say faith meant no problems. Faith meant a mountain-free life. He's saying your problem, your mountain is an opportunity to manifest faith. And when you pray in a believing way, you can move that mountain. You can move that obstacle. So we have the power in prayer when we pray, believing God. And I'm passionate. I get emotional and excited about things, especially about God. But that's not what faith is. Well, that guy really has faith. It's not about the level of exuberance. It's about what's happening in your heart to trust that what Jesus said was possible is possible, and you believe it because he said it. And it's not just an emotional point where you just agree with it for a moment when you're in a, a crisis all of a sudden, but it's where you really come to a place of acceptance of what God's word is, his sovereignty and his reign over your life, over the human condition and over the course of events in this world. We have the power to curse the roots of deception and dry up s systems of evil in this world through our prayers. We have the, the ability to move mountains. God wants us to pray believing. I believe this is the time for the greatest miracles that we've ever seen. 
I believe this is a time for incredible miracles. That God wants to do miracles way beyond what we, what we could ask or imagine. That he wants to do incredible, incredible works in and through our lives. But he's looking for a people that continue in prayer. And that's part of the problem is that sometimes he said, well, I prayed once and it didn't work. But look at what Jesus said. After he said you could have mountain-moving faith, he said, when you stand praying. Right, right, right. It's, an, it's a continual action. When you stand praying. The faith movement used to teach people, if you pray more than once, you're in sin because you didn't believe it the first time. So you only ask once and then you never ask again or else you didn't believe that it would happen. Jesus says something different to us. He says, if, if you pray, then you're gonna stand and not lose heart in prayer. You're gonna keep pressing in. You're gonna keep proclaiming. You're gonna keep going. You're gonna keep thanking God that it's a done deal even before it's a done deal. You're gonna operate in that kind of faith. We need a fervency. We need a passion. We need a fire from the Holy Spirit in this hour for the church to press through in prayer, to not lose heart in prayer. Say, God, we prayed for COVID then. It, I mean, it was supposed to end at Passover and then at Pentecost and then, and then, and then, and then, and we're still stuck in this season. So what's going on? What prophetic word do we believe? Well, I know what we need to do. We need to keep praying and keep standing and keep contending. Charles Finney, who I believe is one of the, was the greatest revivalist that's ever ministered in this nation, he was an incredible preacher of the gospel and had incredible results. I wouldn't say he's the greatest theologian, but he's the greatest revivalist that we had. And he had the secret to his life success, reading his autobiography, was all about his prayer life. And he had two men, Father Nash and Abel Clary, and they were intercessors. They would go pray in a city. They would go into a place, a city before him, and they would call heaven into that city. And when they had breakthrough in prayer, he would come preach the gospel, and the results were extraordinary. These guys make us look like dwarves. I don't know if there's been a generation that's risen in the church to see these kind of results in the place of prayer, these giants of faith. They had this phrase, they would go, there would be a challenger, an obstacle. They'd get denied from a city or there was no results and they would go and they would just lock themselves away in prayer all night. They'd pray for two or three days or maybe a couple of weeks and they would say, they would be in a prayer time that night together and they would say, we prevailed with God in prayer. Now we can go and see the results. And they would go, it's incredible to read the story and watch like they prayed and then they went and saw it happen. They prayed and then they went and saw it happen. And my faith is stirred. And sometimes I'm a little bit like, man, God, how do I get a prayer life like that? But it can be a signpost, a prophetic signpost for this generation that this is what's possible to the church that prays, believing and standing and continuing to prayer, to pray until you know that it's done, until you see it manifest in history, until you see it manifest in the headlines, until you see it manifest in real time. And we could go after saint in the Bible, through church history, time and time again. It's the people that continue in fervent prayer. That's what James said. It's the powerful, the powerful, effectual prayer. It's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman of God that avails much. It's not just like, oh, we prayed our little prayers before bed, but you got into a place with God and you didn't let go of his promise and you maybe spent days, you maybe spent hours, weeks, months, whatever it took until you saw that thing birth into the earth. Jesus said, when you pray, stand praying. Stand praying. So we believe that we have it, but we contend for it till it manifests. And then he does this weird turn. And it's just like Jesus to break up our boxes. We got all these little categories we put stuff in. And Jesus is like, hey, and when you're standing, praying, contending for these miracles, the greatest miracles that you're ever going to see, forgive somebody if you have anything against them so your Father in heaven will forgive you. I'm like, What? Do you know the Bible doesn't teach us that we can just outfaith everything? Some Christians are like, I believe, why isn't it happening? Jesus is telling us one of the reasons it doesn't happen sometimes. 
It's because of the condition of our heart. And we've produced a lot of people in the church that are outwardly strong but emotionally weak. And if you look at the scriptures, you look at the Beatitudes, you look at the character quality of the church, we're supposed to be emotionally resilient people. What kind of person can forgive their enemies? What kind of person can forgive people that have hurt them? Right? Somebody that's emotionally strong, someone that's strong in the Lord. And we just think it's all about mustering up more energy or more strength and like, oh, I'm going to have more faith. I'm going to declare louder. I'm going to jump higher. I'm going to sing more. And there's a place for that fervency. But then there's this instruction, this opportunity, this warning from Jesus. But when you pray, if you don't forgive, he doesn't forgive you. There's a, there's a man in our fellowship um, that was betrayed by... Uh, some people in his church, he's a pastor, Mark Bratton, incredible expository preacher. And he tells a story about these people in his church. They didn't know that he found out, but they found out they were betraying him. And they were going behind his back and they were gossiping to all these people. And they were trying to set up a movement to either get him ousted from the church or to like call his character into question. It wasn't just like a minor disagreement. It was like kind of a plot and a plan to overthrow him. And he loved these people and it broke his heart. And God said, don't confront them right now. And he was like, what? Are you kidding me? So he's just wrestling, he's in anguish. Dante's Inferno says that, and I'm not saying you should get your theology from like a classic work of literature, but Dante's Inferno says the lowest place in hell is for betrayers. Betrayal is the most painful thing that we go through, I think, in the human condition. Because when betrayal happens, you feel like you lost your friendship or your relationship with that person, and then the past doesn't make sense, so you're completely disoriented because you go, how long did you feel like this about me? Were all those words you used to say real? Did it mean anything to you? And then the future is like up in smoke. You don't know how to navigate. So you're very disoriented in betrayal. And he's betrayed. He's hurting. He's on a mission trip. And he's there preaching and ministering. He's at a worship or prayer time on this mission field. And he's just in so much anguish. He's like, God, it just hurts so bad. I just want vengeance. I want to let him have it. I just, I don't, I don't like how this is going. And God speaks to him and he says, Mark, you don't have two hearts. I gave you one heart. You don't have a heart for me and a heart for people. If you close your heart to them, you close your heart to me. And I was like, whoa, that story helped me see when Jesus says that God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. Or like he gives us this warning, if you want your sins forgiven by God, you forgive the sins of others. It's almost in a sense that God can't forgive us because we've blocked our heart. We go, man, me and God are super close. He's amazing. I just can't stand all these stinging people. I don't have news for you. If you can't stand people and you're offended and hurt and angry at people, then you're actually, that's how, you, that's how God is dealing with you too. And so we let it go to the Lord and there was a powerful story of reconciliation actually where he went and prayed for them. One of them battled some type of disease or something. I don't remember all the details on the rest of the story, but basically he went in and they repented and he said, I knew the whole time I forgive you. I forgive you. And God did a work of restoration and healing in their lives. And what Jesus is teaching us is that you want to move mountains on the outside, in the city, the culture, you want to take cities, but you can't rule your own spirit. What good is it to God? You want to move outward mountains? God wants to move inward mountains. He wants the inner condition to match the outward desire and dreams that we want to see. And he's waiting for those things to come into alignment. That's where the, this power, it's, a, it's like a hidden power. I want to tell you, honestly, like, I never thought I would stand in the pursuit or be a part of Russell's life or ministry. I never thought I'd have him at sunrise for anything because it was just painful 
to be so close with somebody and then to have it gone. And it hurt like hell, honestly. To even think about being around, people would tell me what's happening with him and I'm just like, don't you, you know, like, you don't understand our history. You don't understand what it's like just to say that, you know, because I just miss him. And I didn't wish ill will or, you know, anything negative on him, but it just was easier to stick in my own lane than to deal with the pain. And so I get that it's hard sometimes. And it doesn't feel like you deserve forgiveness. It doesn't feel like the other person that you need to forgive deserves it from you. But God wants to move mountains and he wants us to go past the pain. And he knows it's painful. He knows it's hurtful. But he's looking for us to be a people who are not just forgiven, but we also learn about the power of forgiving. So as God wants to give us a power in this, this hour for the church, I believe it's hidden to the ways of the world because it's about God unveiling us, which is a little uncomfortable sometimes, and removing roots that don't belong. It's about giving us to be a people of prayer and then people that keep standing and keep standing with fervency in prayer. And then it's causing us to be a people that reflect the character of Jesus Christ to the world. And even as Russell shared earlier during the worship time that Jesus is still doing miracles today, that's right, he's doing miracles today. And the greatest miracle that he's doing is forgiveness. And I believe there's all sorts of healings and deliverances and prodigals coming home and answers to prayer and miracles like we haven't seen. He's looking for a people that put a demand on his word. You see, we got a lot of people in the church that are like, well, those people are just like, they're, I think they're like commanding God or they're like bragging or they're like so, you know, like don't they know what's happening in the world? There's so much pain. They're so uh, presumptuous of them to pray like that in faith. And you know, I think it's important to walk in humility before God, but I believe what honors and glorifies God is that we take Jesus' word and we put it into practice in our lives. There's a lot of Christians that think it's more spiritual to grovel in their pain and misery and say, well, at least I'm saved by his grace and I'm going to heaven one day. And then they judge and criticize people that grab a promise and contend for that promise to manifest like somehow those people are prideful. That's not pride, to believe God at his word. If you're a decent father, you want your kids to be successful in what you give them to do. And we bring glory to the Father when we take the promises and we, and we pray for them and we see them manifest so people can say, look what God wants to do. Look what my God is able to do. That's what God's looking for in this hour. And Jesus is the miracle working God. He was sent by the Father 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless life. He did many miracles. This Jesus that I'm talking about today, he ultimately, he walked the earth and he went to the cross and he died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again. This was according to the prophecies of the old covenant. This was according to hundreds of prophecies that were foretold that Jesus would come and he would do this for us. And then he was seen by many witnesses after he raised from the dead that could verify that this miracle actually happened. And then he, was, he ascended to heaven where he rules and reigns until one day he will judge the living and the dead. And he offers forgiveness of sins to all who will repent and believe that he is Lord. And I'm here today, Pursuit, to tell you that God wants to do miracles through your life. 
But for you, it all starts with making Jesus Lord and surrendering to this good news message that he is king, that he reigns, that he holds your future, that he can redeem your past, that he can rewrite your story if you would put your hands back in the hands of the one, your life back in the hands of the one who made you. And that's my first call today. We've got two calls. The first call is if you are not a believer in Jesus, you are not surrendered to his lordship, that right now you would, get, that you would make a decision to give your life to Jesus. That right now you would believe on him and he would forgive your sin and give you a new life today. And I'm going to ask if you're here that you just stand up so we can pray with you and believe with you right where you're at if you need to make that decision today. If you need to make that decision today. You're not right with God. You don't have confidence. And maybe you're not used to this, but I just like to call it bold. He hung there naked on a tree to die for us, to give us new life. He gave it all. Is there anybody here? And you say, I'm not right with God. There was a couple that stood in the first service, but I want to be right with God right now. I want to take this, I want to take this experience. Maybe you've strayed from the Lord and you've said, you know, you've, you've walked away from your faith and it's, it's a coming back home. Maybe it's a confession you've made at one point in your life, but you need to make it again. Just stand to your feet right now. We'll celebrate you. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. Is there anybody here and you don't have confidence that you've had sin forgiven and that you're in right standing with God? This is the greatest need of the human heart. Is there anybody, the greatest decision you can make that would stand on your feet that we could pray with you right now? Well, I'm gonna ask everybody to, oh, there is somebody. Okay, come on. Let's hear it. Let's celebrate. Are you okay to come forward so that some of the team can pray with you and know who you are? Is that all right? Could you have a couple of the, the prayer team, the leaders here? Just come pray with these guys. Yeah. Let's, let's just pray. Just pray this. We're all going to pray with you, all right? Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I give my heart to you. Thank you for a new start. Thank you for my purpose and the call that you have on my life. Let me never be the same again. I choose to follow you today. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask everybody else. Woo, you can clap. I'm going to ask everybody else to stand to your feet right now. And if you need a miracle in your life, in your body, in your health, in your marriage, Jesus wants to do miracles. I want you to come forward. If you need a miracle of healing, forgiveness, there's pain of betrayal, there's emotional hurts that you need to let go and you need to stand and forgive today, then I want you to come out of your seats today so that you could pray with others, so that people would stand with you and pray. So Father, as people are coming today, I thank you that this is a time of miracles. This is a time of mountains moving, mountains on the outside and mountains on the inside, Lord God. Whether it's an obstacle of pain or betrayal, hurt and unforgiveness, Lord God, it's strained relationships or families that you want to put back together. Lord, whether it's diseases, Lord, that have plagued people, God, I pray that you would bring a miracle power as we pray, believing that what we ask for and declare in prayer we will have it 
and it will be done. And Lord, I bless Pastor Russell, Pastor Maria. I pray that the hand of the Lord would be upon the Pursuit Northwest. I pray, Lord, an impartation of faith for prayer. God, you put in them the DNA of revival. And I pray that a contending spirit of prayer would be released in them by your Holy Spirit, that the name of Jesus would be made great. Lord God, that this would just be the very beginning of the way you want to shake the city of Snohomish with your goodness and your glory, Lord God. I pray that you would do such astounding miracles that the fear of the Lord would come on this city, Lord God, and that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, that as a church, they would continue to support their pastors and the vision you've given them. And there would be a spirit of unity in this house so that you could command a blessing over this people for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' mighty name.